0: Bible Church. Here at Redeeming Grace, it is our full conviction that as Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.16, that all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching and for correction and for reproof and for training in righteousness. We are committed to teaching the whole counsel of God that the people of God might be built up and that lost sinners might come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ.
1: going to start reading um, at th- verse 35 once again John 6 verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life, whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. but I have said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never cast out for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said... Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he say, I have come down from heaven? But Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has learned, who's heard and learned from the Father comes to me. is my flesh. Let us ask now uh, the Lord's help as we look at his word. Lord God in heaven, Lord, we uh, know, Lord, that we are often um, slow to understand. Lord, and that we often even misunderstand and misapply. And Lord, I ask that as we look at your word, you would keep us from misunderstanding the words of Christ or misapplying them to our life. God, that we would, uh, by your spirit, have full understanding of, of what Jesus intends us to understand. And Lord, that the, the doctrines that He taught would be, uh, Lord, affirmed by us and that your spirit would would testify to the truthfulness of your word with our spirits now. And I pray as I speak that my words would be in accordance with your scriptures, Lord, and that uh, the aspects that are only my opinions or thoughts would, would be removed, Lord, from from my mouth, and Lord, that your people would be built up and encouraged. By your word, we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have this morning uh, four truths regarding the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Four truths about this doctrine. Now, we might only get through two this morning. uh, And that's okay, because we have one more week before uh, we're hoping to start um, Acts 16, which will kind of lead into our study of the book of Philippians. And so, if we extend into next week, um, then uh, that will be all right. But we're going to then conclude, uh, at least begin to conclude, the study of these five doctrines of grace um, using, as you've known, the the tool of acronym. Um, which sometimes there there are better ways to describe the doctrines. Even as we saw last week, irresistible grace could be somewhat misleading. Um, Effectual grace probably uh, more clearly communicates what what the doctrine is, and and that's sometimes the case, but the acronym nonetheless can be helpful to jog our memories, especially uh, if you're like me, who's, uh, someone said, a memory like a rabbit's tail, it's short and fuzzy, and uh, (laughs) that's often how I feel with my memory, it's short and fuzzy. But uh, we're going to look this morning at the perseverance of the saints and so we've looked at the, the doctrine of total depravity, uh, how we are born in sin, we are born in a condition of death, as Paul said, dead in our trespasses and sins, which renders us dead. You are unresponsive. You are, you are unable to, to seek God unless God by His Spirit brings life through the Gospel. And we've seen God's, God's purpose in election, that He has chosen to elect People from Adam's race, even though we all deserve his just condemnation, God is pleased to show his grace uh, through Christ to us as Adam's race, and that is according to his unconditional election, to, to his purposes in saving whom he will save. And then we saw uh, the atoning work of Christ That it is not an atonement that is merely potential. It's not that Jesus kind of made everything possible for people to be saved. But actually didn't save anyone. That he just somehow made it uh, available. um, But then was hopeful that it worked out. That's not the cross. The cross is Christ rescuing, redeeming those whom the Father had given him. Atoning for their sin in full payment. And that when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished... He meant it. He meant the payment was complete. The redemption in his blood had been accomplished. And as the gospel message goes out, it is the in-gathering, it's the means of ingathering the people of God, as John said, who are scattered abroad, not from the nation of Israel only, but also from the Gentiles, and gathers them into one through his cross. And we've seen last week... The effectual grace of God. That when the, the gospel comes to those who have been given to the Son by the Father, as Jesus said, that they, they come because all whom the Father gives the Son will come to Him. And as the Father draws people to Christ, then they come and Jesus keeps them. And so we come now to the perseverance of the saints. Um, this glorious and uh, uh, wonderful gospel truth of God preserving his people, of Christ keeping those whom the Father has given. And there are a lot of uh, misconceptions about this doctrine. Uh, A lot of times, you know, in, in my growing up years, I heard about eternal security or the security of the believer, or somebody might say a statement like, once saved, always saved. And that's uh, even historically kind of a, a, a among Baptist circles. Um, and, and in more Reformed circles, that would be something they would agree on. Yes, once we are saved, we are secure. We are we are kept. We are not able to lose our salvation. But the, the statement, perseverance of the saints, I think guards against a potential danger of misunderstanding what it means to be eternally secure. Um, you know, I believe the Bible affirms the security of believer. I I can say once saved, always saved, and say that that's a biblical truth. Um, but the danger is that you could misunderstand how the persevering of God works itself out in the Christian. It's not like a flu shot. It's not like, a, you know, a, a membership card that we get at one point, and then regardless of what happens beyond that, we're, we're good, uh, that we can live however we want, and, and it doesn't matter because we, we had that moment of decision, we had that moment of, of profession, and so anything beyond that doesn't matter, we are secure. Well, that's a false understanding of what it means to be eternally secure in Christ. And so, this idea of the, the true believer persevering to the end is much more uh, biblical and, I think, clear. Paul Washer, a uh, well-known preacher today, he has preached that the idea that if we simply pray a prayer, uh, then we are definitely saved, is one of the greatest lives from hell. And, and he often speaks against this idea that if I do a certain thing, if I go through certain motions, say certain things, if I get wet with water, then I'm most definitely saved, and, and I don't have to worry about um, the possibility that I'm not saved. The, he points out that is, that is alive from hell, because what it does is it often enables people to indulge in their sin all the while thinking that they are saved and that they are secure. And in many ways, a lot of evangelists and preachers today are much like the false prophets in Ezekiel 13. This is what God says of the false prophets. He says, "...my hand will be against the prophets who see false visions, who give lying divinations." They shall not be in the council of my people, nor be enrolled in the register of the house of Israel, nor shall they enter the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord God. Precisely, now this, is, this is what God condemns the false prophets for doing. He says, precisely because they have misled my people, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. And because when the people build a wall, these prophets smear it with whitewash. Say to those who smear it with whitewash that it shall Fall, and so you see what God is condemning the prophets—that they are telling the people they are okay with God, they have done all that God requires of them, that that they are secure. When in fact they are not secure; they are they are at enmity with God, and the wall that they build is 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 built on sand. It's going to crumble regardless of how many coats of paint you put on it. And a lot of times. People have a misunderstanding of salvation and what true conversion is. And so then they also establish a false sense of security, a security that comes from something they did or said, or because the preacher said I was saved, the preacher said I was a Christian, therefore I am secure. Well, that is not the biblical picture of salvation. And sadly, I've seen this many times Uh, someone comes to vacation Bible school or a youth camp or a so-called revival meeting and the preacher finishes his message and then he says something along the lines of if you want to ask Jesus into your heart then come forward and I will show you how. And so little Johnny steps out and he walks up to the preacher and he says, I want to be a Christian. I want to ask Jesus to save me. And so the preacher says, well, it's really simple. All you have to do is repeat a prayer after me. And actually, if you don't want to say the prayer, just take my hand and you squeeze it if you believe that to be true, if you are sincere that, that this is the prayer you're praying in your heart. And so little Johnny says, well, that sounds simple enough. I'll, I'll do that. And, and the preacher begins praying the prayer and Johnny's a little timid, so he just squeezes the preacher's hand a few times. And then the preacher, after finishing the prayer turns to the congregation and announces little Johnny, saved, that he is now part of the kingdom of God, and, and he'll be baptized next Sunday. And then a few months down the road, little Johnny is struggling because he doesn't feel like a Christian. He, he still struggles with the same sins. There's no, there's no real change in him. And he's asking the preacher, well, I don't feel saved. I'm struggling with assurance, and instead of reminding him of the gospel, they say, well, let's let's write down in your Bible the date and time that you, you prayed. And, and, and whenever you're doubting, you look at that and you just remember what you did. You remember that decision that you made and, and then you can find assurance. Well, that is saying, peace, peace, when very possibly there is no peace. He has never understood the gospel. He has never been born again. And because he did some external action... People are assuming that he has been born again, and they're trying to tell him once saved, always saved, when very likely he was never saved in the first place. So we want to be aware of this danger. Um, the, the, the doctrine of the security of the believer is one that everybody wants to claim, everybody wants to identify with, because it is, it is where our, one of our greatest sources of peace and comfort come from. But we have to understand salvation We have to understand conversion if we're ever going to enjoy the benefits of our assurance. So, we have to get this right. We have to understand what the Bible teaches about our assurance and the persevering of the saints. Um, If we redefine salvation, then we're going to misapply assurance. And we are really worse than the unbeliever. Um, doing the same thing the Catholic Church did in the you know, early 13th, 14th, 15th century, which was selling indulgences and telling people if they did this, they would have assurance, they would have a sense of peace, that they were okay with God. But they were lying, they were false prophets, peddling uh, simply the, the trinkets of man, uh, trying to appease the souls of man, which can only be done by the Spirit of God. So we need to repent of such things, and be like the faithful watchman upon the city wall, speaking the truth, regardless of what it might cost us. So four truths of the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. And like I say, we'll likely just get through two of these and then save two for next week. So if you look at John 6, the words of Jesus, first of all, we find that perseverance is rooted in election. Our persevering faith, the the, the assurance of our salvation, is rooted in God's purpose in election. Do you see what Jesus says? All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes, I will never cast out. And he says the same thing later. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up. This, This idea of our assurance, of our persevering grace, is rooted in God's electing grace. The keeping of Christ is rooted in the giving of the Father. And the two are are, are knit together. You can't separate them. You can't have assurance while denying God's purpose of election. That it is the Father who gives. It is the Father who draws according to His purpose. Um, To suppose that Christ keeps us apart from the giving of the Father is to ignore what Jesus is plainly saying. He is saying the reason he keeps, the reason that he raises up, is because these people have been given him from the Father. It is not dependent on what we have done. It's dependent on what God has done. And I would go so far as to say that those who deny the doctrine of God's sovereign election have no business claiming any kind of assurance that is consistent with Scripture. If you're going to deny that God elects us, then you don't have the right to claim that God keeps us. Sadly, many like a God who will keep them, but they reject a God who sovereignly must call them. And the two are woven together. Our assurance is rooted in election, God's purpose grace Um, flip over for a moment to Romans 8 a familiar passage and you see this so plainly how the two are tied together that that because God chooses us because God elects us by his grace it is it is that reason that he also keeps us in Romans 8 Verse 28, we find Paul writing and he says that we know for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son there is there is this electing work of god this foreknowing and that's not you know simply god looking down the corridors of time and seeing our decision and then basing his decision on our decision that's not what the word means knowing is this this intimacy this knowing like in even in genesis we find adam knew his wife Um, It doesn't mean that he foresaw something she was going to do. No, there was was an intimate relationship there, this love that was upon her. And God foreknows us. He sets his love upon us, um, even before the foundations of the earth. And then we find this this chain that Paul um, builds for us as we see these doctrines fit together. We find that we're... Those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. Verse 30, And those whom He predestined, He called. And those whom He called, He justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Do you see, our glorification, our sanctification, the keeping of God until it is finished, is all rooted in the fact that God calls us. That he justifies us. That he has predestined us. And so the first truth of the perseverance of the saints is is it's rooted in God's electing grace. Um, And it's the difference between using uh, a cistern for your water or being tapped into an artesian well. And as far as I know, an artesian well is just uh, when you drill down and you get enough water pressure from the source that it actually comes up the pipes, it it pressurizes itself. There's so much water springing up from the ground that you have this artesian well. This is the difference between rooting God, uh, rooting our salvation in God's election or in our own decision. Because if our assurance is rooted in God's electing grace, then there is an endless source of power, of of um, covenanting grace to keep us But if it's rooted in what we have done, if it's, I'm secure because I have chosen to be saved, well then, that is as inconsistent as depending on your cistern to never run out of water, right? But it is to be a a wellspring of comfort for us, knowing that God has chosen us, and therefore Christ will keep us. Secondly, the second truth of this doctrine of the perseverance of of the saints is very close to the first, um, but I think distinct enough to mention uh, the second is that our assurance is rooted in the eternal covenant between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. We are secure because God the Father has purpose to extend His grace to us and give us to Jesus. And Jesus the Son has purpose to ransom us, to offer His life as a ransom, to redeem us and to rise from the From the dead to justify us. So, because our salvation is rooted between the relationship between the Father and the Son and the Spirit, we are secure. It cannot be broken, it cannot change. In order for our salvation to to become undone, God would have to cease to be God. The Father cannot break his covenant to the Son. The Son cannot break his covenant to the Father. Because it is in the nature of God to be faithful. It's in the nature of God to be um, true to his promises. And we find this not only here. That there was this giving of the Son. But you think of John 17. The way Jesus prays in in the high priestly prayer. um, Desiring that those whom the Father had given Him, come and be with Him. And, and Jesus speaks of this eternal covenant, this eternal relationship with His Father in John 17, 1. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify the Son, that the Son may glorify You, since You have given Him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom You have given Him. And this is eternal life, that they know You, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom You have sent. I glorified You on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And our salvation is not rooted in our behavior, our works. It is rooted in this eternal covenant between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And that's where we find assurance. That's where we find true and lasting security. The, uh, the 1689 London Baptist Confession says this about the persever- this doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Uh, it says, The perseverance of the saints does not depend on their own free will, but on the unchangeableness of the decree of election, which flows from the free and unchangeable love of God the Father, It is based on the efficiency and merit and intercession of Jesus Christ and union with Him, the oath of God, the abiding of His Spirit, the seed of God within us, and the nature of the covenant of grace. The certainty and infallibility of their perseverance is based on these things. So, do you struggle with the assurance of your salvation? Have you ever wondered, am I saved? I don't feel saved. How do I know that I'm saved? Or maybe you struggle to to be at peace, that that you are truly a child of God, and and that when you stand before God on Judgment Day, that, that you will not be condemned to eternal judgment. You will not be cast into hell. How do you find assurance of your salvation? Do not look... To your profession of faith. Do not look to your baptism. Do not look to your church membership. Or your church attendance. Or your tithing record. None of those things are where we go to find assurance. You must learn to fix your gaze upon Christ. And you must know that you are secure. Because he is faithful. He is powerful. He is true to keep his promises. That is where we must go to be secure. And I remember as a teenager, uh, struggling with assurance, doubting that I was a Christian, knowing that I was so prone to wander, so prone to sin, and and we were at a uh, youth retreat of some kind, and so I talked to one of the, I guess he was a youth pastor there at the time, and I was just telling him, you know, I'm really struggling to know that I'm saved, and, and can you help me? Can you pray for me? And sadly, his... Counsel was misleading, I realized later on. What he did was he said, Okay, well let's just make sure that you're saved. And so he led me through the sinner's prayer and, and you know, trusting this guy, I said, Okay, well, uh, sure, I'll 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 say the sinner's prayer again. And maybe that will, will take care of the problem of this doubt that I have in my heart. And that's terrible advice. It's terrible and it's misleading and, and, and it's not that I am better than this man, but as you study the scripture and you see where the authors of the scripture go to give us assurance, it is not in something we have done. It is not repeating some special prayer that is going to somehow magically remove doubt from my mind. What he should have done is reminded me of the Gospel, reminded me of the sufficiency of Christ's work on the cross, remind me of the Father's covenant with the Son, that he will not abandon the promise he made to his Son. Remind me of Christ's redeeming work to purchase a bride for himself and to keep that bride, to raise it up on the last day. That is where we go to find assurance this is where we as Christians must learn to to lie down in the green pastures of God's faithfulness his covenant faithfulness that is where we must go to drink of the water from the brook that is sustaining and refreshing is God's unfailing word that's where you must go and meditate upon it. Study it. Memorize scripture verses that remind you of God's faithfulness to his covenant when you're doubting your salvation. Do not look to something you have done, but to what Christ has done. So, that does leave us with the question as to, um, I guess, a, a bit of summary. What is true salvation? And how do we know that, that We have been saved and that we are part of this people that are going to be preserved to the end. Um, And that brings us to the third truth about the perseverance, which is in order to persevere, one must be truly converted. And uh, we'll close with this point. One must be truly converted to experience the blessing of God's persevering grace of his keeping us. Um, even in this passage in John, we see a perfect example of this. We looked at last week a bit, what happened here. Jesus had just previously fed the 5,000 in chapter 6, at uh, the beginning. And they are very excited about this. They actually wanted to make him king. And they are... Professing all kinds of wonderful things about Christ. Verse 14, uh, this indeed is the prophet who has come into the world. And if you were to look at this group of people, you would say, surely they are true followers of Jesus. They are true disciples. Listen to their profession. See the works that they do. They they go across this, this sea of Galilee to find Jesus. They are obviously Christians. And yet as Jesus sees them coming, he rebukes them And tells them that they're not coming to actually see him in verse 26 and 7. But they're coming because they had their fill of the loaves. And Jesus exposes them as false converts. They are are hypocrites. They are not truly seeking Christ. They're seeking the benefits of Christ. They're seeking the benefits of being near to Jesus, which is unlimited food and and health and and prosperity and and, and just the security of knowing I don't have to worry about where my groceries are going to come from next month. That's what they wanted. They didn't want a Savior. They didn't want a Messiah. They didn't didn't want to worship Jesus as God in flesh. And so Jesus uh, preaches a sermon so difficult that the majority of them leave. Now, a more Arminian-minded person would look at this situation and say, well, there you have it. They were saved and they have lost their salvation. We can therefore lose our salvation. Obviously, these people were following Christ. They were seeking Christ. And now they're not. They're turning away. So then we must be able to lose our salvation. But is that what's really going on? That, that's not at all what's happening. The true believer, the true follower of Christ, will persevere. Those who have been truly born of the Spirit. And you see at the end of chapter 6, we have a few. In in verse 60, we, we find this. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, he said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. And we find in verse 66, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And so Jesus then turns to the twelve. And you could just see, you had... 10, 15,000 people. There a few moments before. And now there's a little handful of people. And they're struggling. And they're wondering what in the world just happened. And uh, what, did that, what did that message mean? And Jesus asks them, do you want to go away as well? And you have this persevering grace at work in these men. And Peter responds with this glorious profession. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And so we see this persevering grace in those who are true disciples. Those who have been truly born of the Spirit will persevere. Even though their faith may struggle and fail at times, they will press on. The Spirit of God will continue to sustain them. And so... Um, we'll leave it at there for now. We'll pick up next week and look at uh, the final uh, truth of our perseverance. Which is, I'll just give it to you and you can be thinking of it. That perseverance does not mean walking in perfection. But rather continuing in repentance and faith. And so uh, I encourage you to this week as, as you think about your own salvation. And the work of Christ that you often remind yourself of why we're secure. We are secure because God has purposed an election to save us. And we are secure because of the agreement between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, this covenant of grace to, by the blood of Christ, redeem a people. And we must understand salvation and regeneration according to the scriptures, that it is Primary that someone be born again if they are going to experience the blessings of God's keeping us in Christ. So let us go to the Lord in prayer and uh, I encourage you, even as you think of these things, maybe you've not have ever called upon the Lord Jesus Christ to deliver you, maybe you've never confessed your sins, you've never put on the covenant sign of baptism um, as, a, as a symbolic picture of God's work of grace in your life, then I encourage you to, to, to follow through. Um, I'd love to talk with you more about what the gospel is and, and, uh, and how we receive that from Christ. And uh, Even while you're sitting here, you could pray, Lord, save me, have mercy on me, a sinner. And God will hear that prayer. And so I encourage you to respond. Uh, as as the Spirit leads you. Um, don't leave if you're wanting to, to talk. To get um, prayer. Um, that's why we're here. So let's go to the Lord now in prayer. And we will close. Lord we thank you for uh, your word. God that, that brings so much clarity. To many of the questions that we have. And Lord that we would be faithful to read your word and to study it, God, and to fix our minds upon things above as we go. And Lord, as we consider uh, these oftentimes difficult doctrines, Lord, that we would also see the beauty of knowing that you are a God who is mighty to save. And because you are sovereign, because you are all-powerful, that we are kept by your grace. And Lord, that we will be kept by Christ Uh, until our final glorification. And we pray that this would be uh, the source of much comfort and peace and joy in our hearts. And Lord, we pray you help us to be burdened for the lost as well around us, knowing that the gospel invitation is for all people. And Lord, that we would be quick to offer the invitation to come to Christ, to come and eat and drink and find true bread and true drink that will never perish. And we ask this now. In Jesus' name. Amen.
0: And by faith we walk as you walk with us. Speak, Lord. Thanks for listening to this sermon. We pray that you were built up and encouraged in your faith and pointed to Christ our glorious Saviour. If you'd like to know more about Redeeming Grace Bible Church, you can find us online at www.redeeminggracechurch.ca or you could write to us at redeeminggracebiblechurch@gmail.com. at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you to answer any questions that you might have. God bless you.